And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Good to be here, Dan. And Dr. John Vance. Hello, everyone. Well, gentlemen, it's good to have you here today. You know, A Plain Answer deals with uh, various questions that have come up or that we have thought of ourselves, whether it be current events, um, theology, history, all of that. Um, Today, it's an interesting question. Uh, One of the fellows brought it up, and that is concerning the three offices of Jesus Christ. You know, this is the time of year. We mentioned last week we were talking about Lent, and uh, as we reflect on our own sins before God and repentance of our sins and leading up to Easter, uh, wouldn't it be great to talk about these three uh, offices of Jesus Christ? And what am I talking about? It's namely prophet, priest, and king. As we read the Bible, uh, these three offices become very apparent that Christ uh, holds, and he, um, we could say he executes these offices. And so maybe we could talk a little bit about that today. Uh, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, and uh, him being prophet, priest, and king. So who would like to get us started? Well, if we want to get started, I suppose we should start with prophet, and Jesus is the prophet. Mm-hmm. I think there's a couple areas where it, uh, I think the Westminster Larger and Shorter Catechisms talk about this very nicely, and it says, how doth Christ execute the office of prophet? Christ executeth the office of prophet in his revealing to the church in all ages by his spirit and word and diverse ways of administration, the whole will of God. That's key, the will of God, and mm-hmm. all things concerning their edification and salvation. Hebrews 1 goes on to, to talk about that. It says, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, mm-hmm. whom he appointed the heir of all things, to whom we also created the world. Uh, it's also called in theology, in uh, to use the Latin phrase, munus triplex, which means um, three offices. Okay. They actually uh, are three offices that reflect his one mediatorship. Mm-hmm. He is the one mediator appointed uh, by God to us. He's, mm-hmm. he, he mediates between God and us and us and God. What was that term again? What? That that term. Munus triplex. Munus triplex. I'm, I'm glad you explained it, because it almost sounded like a, a move with the WWF, the professional <laughs> wrestlers there. <laughs> uh, the Munus triplex. And yeah. it, it's, it was particularly emphasized at the time of the Reformation. Um, and they saw, uh, the Reformers did, that when Christ was baptized, that kind of inaugurates the official or, or the the inauguration of his exercise of these offices as mm-hmm. prophet, priest, and king. Now, Mark, you mentioned um, the um, office of prophet in particular, how that Christ does reveal to the church throughout all ages by his spirit and word what God's will is for us. So it's really a, he's teaching us, he's he's declaring to us. You, you know, that and that's very important because one of the things that we often talk about is we talk about general revelation and special revelation. Yeah. And in general revelation, of course, it talks about how we see God in nature. We see that God has created nature. And if we look in Romans 1, then we find out that there's limitations to that. Sure the problem are. is we as sinful human beings, 
instead of worshiping God as who he is, we start worshiping the creatures instead. Whether that creature be uh, idols or whether it be ourselves and our own well-being. So at that point, we need something more, and that's we have the special revelation. That's where the prophets came in. And Jesus is the perfect prophet to tell us how we can be reconnected with God. Yeah, so this general revelation you're referring to is enough for mankind to know that there is a God. Right. But it's uh, it's almost condemning in that it is. we, we don't have uh, yet enough information to know how to have personal relationship with this God, how to have our sins forgiven and be right with him. That's where the office of prophet comes in, of Jesus Christ, where his word and spirit is made known to us, the will of God. Um, he reveals and teaches. That yeah. really is what a prophet yeah. does. Yeah. A prophet in the Old Testament uh, is, in some ways, the mouthpiece of God. And, of course, finally, all of the prophets have their ministries sanctioned or authenticated in the one person, Jesus Christ, who yeah. is the prophet, priest, yeah. and king. You know, the, Isaiah was actually prophesying and speaking through Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, so were all of the prophets of the Old Testament. So when he finally came, uh, he, he not only uh, is the summation of all of that, but here we have standing before us uh, the very voice of God, the second person of the Trinity, it's teaching a, us. It's a, it's a great light that us. shines. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have it's almost like there's a little bit hidden here and there in the Old mm-hmm. Testament, and you, you have these glimpses, but when Jesus comes... It becomes uh, much yeah. more clear, much it, more clear. Sharp focus. And yeah. G- Jesus, when he was dealing with the scribes and Pharisees, says, you search the scriptures because in them you you think you have eternal life, but they speak of me, you know, and, and mm-hmm. so yes. that's, that's the key, you know, and you do. You see that in Isaiah chapter 53. Here it's, yeah, Isaiah's talking to Israel during Uzziah's reign and Jotham's and Hezekiah's and, mm-hmm. you know, probably a little bit of Manasseh's reign, you have all these problems that they're talking about, but in the midst of all that, he's talking about something that's bigger, a mm-hmm. lot bigger than Sennacherib coming and laying siege <laughs> to Jerusalem. It's, like, it's as if they were striking matches in the dark, but when Jesus came, the <laughs> floodlights there it is. were let go. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Well, I think that's a good place to uh, take a break, and when we come back, we'll continue talking about Christ as our priest, and then finally, Christ as our king. You're listening to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? 
Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf in the studio with me today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. John Vance. We're talking about the three offices of the Lord Jesus Christ. In our last segment, we talked about him being prophet. Uh, Next up is him being priest. And uh, who would like to get us started on that? Well, again, uh, I think one of the nicest definitions of uh, how Christ performed the office of a priest is, again, the larger catechism. Christ executed the office of a priest in his offering himself a sacrifice without spot to God to be a reconciliation for the sins of his people hmm. and in making a continual intercession for them. There are actually two parts to that. The first is the sacrifice. And the priest in the Old Testament, of course, made sacrifice. In this case, Christ sacrificed himself. And then the second part is to intercede. The priest always interceded for the people, and that's what Christ does. He intercedes for us. So this is a lot more. This is a fuller. um, This is all that the Old Covenant would be pointing to. Um, Can we just take a pause and just describe, though, uh, what did that Old Testament priest go through? How did he act? What did he do for his people? Well, first of all, he was taken out from among men to represent the people to God. And when Jesus becomes our priest, he is representing us to the Father. Now, he is a perfect priest. But as Mark has pointed out here, he is both the one who who uh, offers and the one who is offered. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus Christ, as the priest of God, uh, is also the priest of man. This, again, reflects his mediatorship mm-hmm. uh, and uh, – what a wonderful and rich uh, teaching this is concerning this time of the year. Oh, yes. Now, there was always some imperfection involved in the old priesthood. I noticed the definition you read, Mark, um, how that Christ uh, executes this office of a priest uh, in his once offering himself a sacrifice without spot to God. Can you talk about that a little bit, how that this was the epitome, this was the ultimate perfection this, yeah, this was once something that when you looked at the Old Testament, uh, what were they to give? They were to give the best. Mm. They were to give the best lamb, the lamb without spot. Yeah. And and in fact, some of, uh, there are criticisms in the Old Testament of Israel 
when they started giving lambs that had spot. Mm -hmm. It shows again the holiness of God. God can only accept something that is completely without spot. And consequently, Jesus, part of the, the reason he came as a man and lived the 33 years on earth was to show that he was a man without sin, without spot, so he could be that sacrifice without spot. That's his his active, if you will, his uh, active salvation. And there's another contrast. In the Old Testament, the priest had to throw blood on himself, you know. Right. He had oh, to be yeah. cleansed through the blood. He was a, oh, yes. he was a yeah. weak vessel. He was a yeah. sinful vessel. But when Jesus came, of course, uh, he came as that one uh, who is uh, exercised a greater priesthood. And uh, the writer of Hebrews sets him forth in a wonderful way, if you read the mm. book of Hebrews this time of the year, you're going to yes. see how Jesus exercised his priesthood. And um, again, he sums up all the priests of the Old Testament is summed up in him. And he offers, uh, finally, the great sacrifice. That there is no subsequent sacrifice after that. No, yeah. that's right. i reminded of uh, another text from Hebrews where it says, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like his brethren, that he might be a a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the Mm -hmm. people. Uh, I'm just struck by by, um, the notion and fact that Jesus Christ was perfectly sinless, and yet he was fully man and fully God. This is is phenomenal. This has never Mm -hmm. happened before or after that such a man would appear in history. He could not be our priest unless he was fully man. It's, it's, yeah. it, it amazes me. Well, so uh, Jesus Christ, we're talking today about him being prophet, priest, and king. The um, notion of his kingship, can we move on to that? I love this definition in the larger catechism. Mm-hmm. It says, Christ executeth the office of a king and calling out of the world a people to himself and giving them officers, laws, and censures by which he visibly governs them. Mm. In bestowing saving grace upon his elect, rewarding their obedience and correcting them from their sins, preserving and supporting them under all of their temptations and sufferings, restraining and overcoming all of their enemies, and powerfully ordering all things for their own good and glory, and in also taking vengeance on the rest who know not God and obey not the gospel." Hmm. Well, there's a bunch packed in there, but I, you know, you they sure. call it the larger catechism for a reason. <laughs> <Isn't don't> they? <laughs> <laughs> they do, but but I I love it because it starts off in if you go to the, the Kenosis passage in Philippians two, uh-huh. um, when it talks about him, uh, how he humbled himself and became obedient under the cross, even to death on the cross, and then it says, therefore God hath highly exalted him, so he's exalted as the king. As as the ruler, but he's king over a people, mm-hmm. and and I love the part of this which shows, yeah, he's ruler over the king. But while they're here on earth, he uses his church. Well, to, that's what struck me by what you read. Them. Yeah, yeah. The, the church um, is the instrument of the kingdom. That's it really right. is. Yes, it's an instrument of the kingdom and an essential instrument. That unfortunately we we've had. Uh, uh, and some of our listeners know very well, without mentioning a name, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. one who denied the ministry of the church, denying, uh, the, right. in some sense, the kingship of Christ. Right. Well, that's what I was thinking yeah. about here as I read this, that, uh, you know, if this is true, that um, 
this this king of ours, our King Jesus, um, grants and gives these officers and laws and censures to his church. I mean, if we deny that, then you really are denying the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen to that. Amen. And the um, uh, the earliest creed that Christians uh, quoted goes right to the heart of this. They confessed, and this is the earliest creed, mm-hmm. uh, three words, Jesus is Lord. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I, I did my uh, work for my uh, uh, a, a Ph.D. down in uh, – spent a lot of time in the South reading out of libraries at the University of South Carolina and then uh, in North Carolina and places mm-hmm. like that. And I came across lots of material from old Southern clergy – and they like to use this phrase. They address Jesus very often as the great head and king of the church. I love that. Yeah. I just love that. Yeah. That was the way they addressed him. And then they prayed their prayer that yes. uh, addressed him as the great head and king of the church. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I was noticing, too, not to overdo it here on this larger catechism, Mark, but um, when it describes Jesus as being prophet, it's just one short paragraph. Same with when it describes him as being priest. Not that that is less important, but um, the writers of of the catechism were careful to uh, really work this thing out in terms of his being king, perhaps because it's misunderstood when we say we have a King Jesus. um, Mm -hmm. People might think, oh, you're just talking politics. Oh, no, it's much more than that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're talking about King of Kings, right? And right now he is Lord reigning Lord, through his yeah. church. church, and yeah. guess what? He visibly governs them. Oh my! Right. You know uh, this answers to some people to say, "Oh, this is just a spiritual kingdom." Well, yeah, that's true, but it fleshes itself out. It's incarnational right. exercise. Yes, yes. yes. Oh. and yeah, and he touches his people, and that's why we have. You know, it says. Not only gives laws, but but censures the church's responsibility for their people. We have First yes. Corinthians five and, and Matthew eighteen, where where the church is to when the people stray oh, yes. to bring them back. Yes. Well, the, the the exercise of the minister here is the exercise of the keys. That's yes. right. This has been bestowed upon God's people to exercise in His That's name. Right. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm thinking of something uh, that occurs in a worship service and. It's very sobering to me, and um, in our tradition, it's called fencing the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the minister of word and sacrament uh, uh, gets up front and um, starts to uh, administer the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, uh, there is a time during that worship service when the table is fenced. Appropriate words Appropriately. are given mm-hmm. um, right. that 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 specifies. Who this meal is for? Yeah, and there's two aspects of that. One is, is to make sure that the people are believers. Yes, that they have been, they are baptized believers in Jesus Christ. Yes. The second is that they are not under the discipline of the church. Right. Because if the church has disciplined them, then they have no right to take. Now, how does that work? I interrupt you. Sorry, but how does that work? Um, let's say um, the elders um, become aware of. Uh, person who is under church discipline usually for flagrant sin yeah and then repentance unrepentant flagrant so, sin, so yeah. how did the elders deal with that well in our case uh we uh use suspend the person from the communion table it's just that simple okay and uh it's that simple and uh until he seeks a place of repentance or she mm-hmm. uh and comes to their uh, senses of who god is and their need 
of the Lord and returns to the fold. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, suppose it's another body, another uh, church body that has uh, censored them, and this person now shows up in your church. Um, is there an effort you, made to... Yes, to, uh, yes there yeah, is. I know yes. exactly where you're going yeah. here. Yes. I, I've tried. Yes. Yeah, we honor yeah. that. We, we, okay. we honor... On, you know, obviously, if it's a heretical group and they've censored them because sure. these people are orthodox, we're going to welcome them. But if it's if it's a, a Christian group and they have been censured for good and biblical reasons, we honor that, and we will not right. give communion either. Isn't that part of being Catholic with a small C? It is. Absolutely. It is. Yes. I, I we we should honor one another's uh, 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 discipline. Yes, mm. and I know that uh, there are those who say, "Well, we only honor it within our body." But no, uh, uh, any Trinitarian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, church that is trying to exercise the keys to the ministry, and if they've come to a place where they deem that discipline is required in this case, and mm-hmm. if in that discipline they have suspended the person from the Lord's table, then we, we I think, must honor that mm-hmm. as well until that person makes it right with the other church. Yes. And so there needs to be some communication between these churches then yeah. that uh, this person now has repented and uh, this censure has been removed, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And we have seen that within our own bodies, you know, that have actually experienced that, where we've had individuals who have been censured and then mm-hmm. later maybe moved away from the area and have been restored by the other church, and, and so then that censure is lifted as well. It's lifted, yes. Mm-hmm. This is recognizing uh, the unity of the church, right? unity of the churches. Yeah, it's an important aspect today. It's not done enough, uh, where we s- clearly see that there is a uh, a gospel ministry mm. that is faithful to the scriptures, and we were to ignore the judgment of those who are exercising their ministry under Christ. It would be a great breach of faith in a, in a way not to right. follow mm-hmm. these procedures. And our our basic setting, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is to be of. A reconciliation nature. Uh, it's not that we're out seeking, um, as leaders of the church, to to censure people. Let me let me follow up on that. I'm a pastor. I have to give the invitation to the Lord's table. We don't want anyone out there to think that this is these kinds of a censure like this or a suspension from the table is for a light matter. Right. Uh, you may be struggling with your sins and weak mm-hmm. and everything. I would do all in my power to. To, to invite and encourage that person to come to the Lord's table, that they mm. might find it truly to be a means of grace and strengthening to them. Yes. But we're talking about here uh, another kettle of fish, if you will. Yes. And that really often, like we've said before, is unrepentant sin. You know, this is a clinging to one's sin. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where the real problem is. And, and so... When we do this discipline, yes, it's so that the the name of Jesus and the honor of God is is upheld, that the purity of the church is upheld, but then, of course, the restoration of the believer Amen. itself. Well, today we're talking about Jesus Christ, our prophet, our priest, and our king. And, uh, gentlemen, I've enjoyed this. It's been a rich discussion. How about a closing remark, because we're up against uh, the end of the program now. I would just say that, again, you see Jesus fulfilling all these offices in a way like no other human ever could. And we have a priest in heaven who intercedes for us. He is our king and he is our Lord. 
And just to say amen to that, Mark, plus everything he did as a human being has eternal value because he's also the divine son of God. Mm, Absolutely. Amen. Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's been a uh, real pleasure having you here in the studio today. To our listeners, if you'd like to email us with any question, our email address is ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. In the studio with me today has been the Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. John Vance. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Please join us again next week at this same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. Thank you.